Sunday, November the 12th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Living out of the depths, stop splashing in the shallows. We're coming towards the end of our series. Uh, but Advent is coming. <laughs> now there's a thought. And uh, we're at the stage in Moses' life that perhaps, apart from, thank you ever so much, apart from the burning bush, he is probably most famous for. And we're going to get into some of those verses together uh, this morning. We've been following the beginnings of Moses. We've been spending these weeks just in the first few chapters of the book of Exodus. And the whole book is all about the journey that will ensue. And Moses, as we know, became this kind of great uh, leader. But we're looking at how he arrived at that place of greatness. And we've discovered some reassuring things that, to be quite honest, Moses was as screwed up as the rest of us. And he didn't bring anything particularly special to the party. Uh, so we can get into his shoes, his posture. And I think, as you will hopefully have seen over these last weeks, you can identify with him in different ways. You can see how his story is our story, how his, his experience is our experience, and his response to God may be, as we'll see today, is or should be or could be our response to God. And as we learn about how he journeyed through the things that he faced, and we find the synergy, the connection, the resonance with the things that we face, maybe too in God's purpose, we might step into the things uh, that we long for, that God has for us. God's been working in him over these weeks that we've been looking at in order ultimately that God might work through him. That's the journey, isn't it? God doesn't work through us in ways that he hasn't first worked uh, within us. And God has something for him to do. Moses has always had a burden for his own people. That's what got him into trouble when he killed someone that day, when the passion that he had that was godly and purposeful got mixed up with the anger that he felt and he acted out his sense of passion in an inappropriate way and got himself into all kinds of trouble. God was going to use him to be the human liberator of his people. And if there had been a job that Moses would have most desired to do, that Moses would have seen as most significant and purposeful, this would have been it. Moses grew up longing for the liberation of his people. Yet where we have been journeying with him, he is at the far side of the wilderness. He's about as far from being useful to God in his own perspective opinion as you could have imagined. He's nowhere near Egypt right now. But God hasn't forgotten. And God hasn't got his timing wrong. And God hasn't misunderstood. God has been working in him in order to work through him. 
And there is nothing that Moses would have wanted more than to be part of leading God's people, his people, out of slavery into the promised land. It was beyond his wildest dreams. And yet many of us, when we find ourselves at the far side of the wilderness, feel like maybe that dream is over. We cannot conceivably imagine that that dream that we once carried in our hearts will ever come to fruition. We are as far from it now as we might possibly be. And yet, when it feels like we are as far from that dream being fulfilled as is possible, is often the moment when God begins to work and does something miraculous. Wouldn't you agree? It's always darkest just before the dawn. It's always at that moment when everything seems lost that God gets going with his recovery plan. And so it is with Moses when God meets him in the burning bush. God still had something for him to do. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This was Moses' dream job. Don't think job as in salary contract paid. Think of this was this was what Moses above all else was made for, was designed for. It got totally lost and obscured over all that he'd been through. But this this captured something of who he was. God wants to use you the way he has made you. Just let that resonate for a moment. God wants to use you the way he has made you. What we often think is that if I do what God wants, it'll be something that I don't want to do. God will send me somewhere I don't want to go. God God will ask me to do things that are, are, are incompatible with who I am because God's kind of like that, because it's all about uh, sacrifice and giving up yourself and losing yourself. I'm not suggesting for a moment that what God asks us to do won't be hard and costly and sacrificial and painful and difficult and sometimes fraught with all kinds of struggle. Nevertheless, God has placed within you a design, a purpose, a delight, a passion. And it is in my mind, just thinking about the way God made the world, inconceivable that God would place some things within you and then go, well, I don't want to use any of that. I want you to do this over here. There is a purpose, isn't there, about the way that we've been created. For you created my inmost being and you knit me together in my mother's womb. God has given you desires and skills and passions. And every grain of the created order is that we flourish when we lean into our design. Are you with me? That's how a flower grows. That's how animals grow and reproduce. That's how the whole cosmos works when we lean into our design. And yet there's been something about our Christian tradition, and I don't know how global it is or whether it's a Western thing or it's just my warped experience of Christian life, is that we have this thing that if, if, if I give myself to God, he'll ask me to do a load of stuff I don't want to do. Who's ever thought like that? You know, I, I don't want to listen to what God has to say because he's going he's gonna to make me do a whole load of stuff. I'm not saying it won't be hard or it won't be sacrificial or it won't cost you and it won't demand the whole of you. Nevertheless... There are passions 
and purposes and desires that God has placed within you. And you might be at the far side of the wilderness right now, but God has not forgotten. God has not forgotten. There's a purpose, but there's also a promise, isn't there? What does it say in the Psalms? Take delight in the Lord and he will do what? He'll give you the desires of your heart. The dreams that you have that are in that godly space are from him and they are for him. So what is your dream? If you couldn't fail, what would you do? What is that which God has placed within you that brings you most alive? It'll be hard. It'll be sacrificial. It'll cost you. All of that stuff. Nevertheless, what is it that if you couldn't fail, you'd give your life to? Or maybe for some of us, what was your dream that you had a long time ago? You were, and, and you live like that will now never be true. But if you pause for a moment, And you look at what God's placed within you. Do you know what? I might have given up on that dream. But maybe God hasn't. Turn to the person next to you. What is your dream? If you couldn't fail, what would you do? If that's too big a question. What's your dream? And if you couldn't fail, what would you do before lunch? Let's narrow it down a bit. It's a really, um, I think, challenging question to try and unearth something of our dreams because a whole layer of stuff has taught us not to dream anymore. A whole layer of life experience and uh, perhaps some Christian teaching, however wrong it, misguided it might be, sometimes has led us to believe that there's all this stuff about me that I need to give up to pursue something more holy and more godly. And we miss the big picture that God has given you and I things. He's made us in different ways. If you like, you can turn to the person next and say, I'm so grateful I'm not like you. <laughs> but Because God's given you something. You, you need to take hold of you. And what God's placed within you. Because that's a massive clue to what God wants to do right now. It's inconceivable, isn't it? That the creator of the universe should create you with intricate design skills and desires. And then go, do you know what? I'd just like you to sit on the shelf with all of that, if you don't mind. And I'd like you to spend most of your time doing something that doesn't really float your boat. Whatever our experience is... We project that reality, I think, all too often onto God. So here we go. God still carried the dream 
that Moses perhaps had long forgotten or long given up hope in. God still carries the dream for you that you might have long given up on. Now that might take a big leap of faith to get back to that space. But just allow the Moses story to inform your reality. That at the point when it thought that everything about the dream was gone and over, God was just getting to work on the whole story, yeah? Moses had two responses. His first response was in his head. The first thing that Moses said was, here I am. And he said that in answer to the whole burning bush scenario. Basically says, Moses is like, here I am. This is what I've been waiting for. Here I am wandering around in the desert. It's totally useless and I've lost my sense of purpose, my sense of identity, and my sense of who I am. God shows up and Moses says, do you know what? I'm all in. I'm all in. I've been waiting for you to call. Thanks for showing up, God. Because I've been waiting. And as God then described what he wanted him to do, I think Moses initially must have got super excited about that. Because what God described to Moses was what had always been in Moses' heart. There was a, a resonance with who Moses was. I want you to be the man that goes back. I remember the passion that you expressed when you saw the injustice of my people. I want you now to go and do something about that passion that's been in your heart the whole while. But we've been learning that the head response is not enough. What ultimately controls our behaviors? Our hearts. Our hearts. And I think that we have super misrepresented this story. Sunday school, preachers, the Western world, dominating with our kind of head engagement has messed up our understanding with these passages, I think, in a humble kind of way. I'm simply saying the rest of the world is wrong and I'm the only one that's right, in a humble sort of way. I wonder whether we've missed the point here. Because typically what I hear in these stories is don't be like Moses who made up all these excuses. Get on and do what God's asked you to do. Have you ever heard that? So we we describe these encounters as Moses making excuses. And we present that in a very negative way. Like that's bad and wrong. So stop making excuses for goodness sake. Just get on and do it. But I want to say, be like Moses and expose the honesty of your heart. Because you'll never get on and do it unless you get real about what's in your heart. Moses' response was head and heart. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He was honest about what was in his heart. Now you can have a dream and you can really want to do something, but still be honest about your heart feeling like you're not up for the task. Those two things are not inconceivable. They are a present reality in all of our hearts because we have what the Bible calls divided hearts. We've made intellectual assent. Moses going to God, yeah, here I am. The only thing that matters and it ensnares us every week. So for example, 
You hear something on a Sunday or somewhere else and you think, do you know what? I want to do that. I'm going to do that. And then you don't. Ever get caught in that loop? I want to do that. And then I don't. I mean, that's our story, isn't it? That's my story and I'm suggesting the things we should do. Example, you hear this amazing sermon about sharing your faith with people that are lost. You totally agree with it. You absolutely want to see lost people saved. You absolutely want to see the people that you know and love saved. And what do you do about it? The reason you don't do much about it most of the time, the reason I don't do much about it most of the time, is that I don't acknowledge the division in my heart. I don't acknowledge that I really want that, but actually I'm terrified of sharing my faith with anybody. You with me? Unless you get real about what's there in your heart, you'll never go on to do it. I think Moses was on to something about getting real about what was in his heart. Let's not say don't be like Moses because he made loads of excuses. Actually, Moses was getting in touch with what was going on deep within him. And in the end, that provided the foundation, the platform to become arguably the greatest leader in the Old Testament. The lie that we believe is if we name the fears in our hearts, it will give them power. The opposite is true. If we name the fears in our hearts, it begins to enable us to have power over them. We know that, don't we, really? But what we try and do, go back to the sharing of faith example. So I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to ignore the fact that I feel scared and I'm just going to get on with it. Well, actually, you don't. That's just not how it works. You might get on with it for a moment and it'll be a car crash, but but soon the reality of what's in your heart will overcome whatever your head is trying to communicate to you. I'm not going to be like Moses and make excuses. Instead, we just don't do anything. So what can we see about Moses' heart response if we if we offer this, if we adopt this different posture that goes, you know what, I'm not going to be critical of Moses. I'm going to see if what Moses went through clarifies something for me. And I think it does. You see, Moses' heart response has a number of kind of realities attached to it. The first thing, as I was saying a moment ago, he names the fears. Verse 11 of chapter 3, he goes, I'm not enough. Verse 13 of chapter 3, he goes, I don't know enough. Verse 1 of chapter 4, he goes, others don't think I'm enough. Verse 10 of chapter 4, Moses goes, I'm not skilled enough. Who can relate to those? Who says the Bible's unrelatable? Can't make sense of it. Everyone knows what Moses is talking about, don't we? Every one of us. Good Sunday response. I'd love to do that, you might say, like Moses. But I'm not enough. I don't feel enough. I'm not skilled enough. I'm pretty sure everyone else thinks I'm not enough. So I'm going to start talking to God about it. That would be a really brilliant, honest response, wouldn't it, every Sunday? To go, actually... My heart is saying I'm not enough. My heart is saying I don't feel enough. I'm pretty sure other people don't think I'm enough. And I'm not skilled enough. I'm going to name the feelings in my heart 
and I'm going to talk to God about them. Because unless I deal with my heart, my heart is the controlling. The Bible talks about the heart all the way through the scriptures. The heart is what controls us, ultimately. Name, I'm not sure what those feelings are, maybe. If you're not sure what those feelings are in your heart, what tool has Moses already given us to clarify that? If you can't answer that, that gives me the ability to go back through five, maybe six sermons and repeat them all, and you won't be able to say, why are you doing that again? I'll say, because you didn't listen the first time. What's the big tool that Moses operated in order to discover what was in his heart? Yeah, which, how did he create that? Ah, for a moment I thought no one was going to get that. Honestly. Sometimes it's emotionally exhausting doing this job, you know? Think, what on earth is going on? Solitude. The far side of the wilderness and stuff became clear that he never would have seen in the rush and the busyness. And he was able to name the, honestly, I don't think we can name the feelings with that much clarity that Moses can. We just kind of go, ooh. Moses goes, no, I don't feel enough. I don't know enough. I can't speak enough. People around me don't think I'm enough. All of that stuff. He, he has a clarity on what's in his heart. See, I stood up then without using my hands. That's impressive. If you can still do that when you're 53, gosh. So, he names the fears or the feelings. He has a clarity about them. Unless you know what's in your heart, you're not going to deal with it. And you'll end up being ensnared. You'll be at the burning bush going, God, I'm all in. God, I'm all in. God, I'm all in. And God says, right, go. And you go, name the fears. Nail the truth and the lie. Nail the truth and the lie. Listen to what Moses is saying. I am not good enough. I Don't know what to say. I am not important enough. I'm not a good speaker. Who is Moses thinking about? Himself. Whose story is this? Whose plan is this? Who's going to do the rescuing? Who's Moses thinking about? Okay, good start. He's nailing it. He's nailing the lie that it's going to be all about him. And we need to nail that lie. Do you know what? You can't do it. Honestly, don't try because you can't. And it's not your story anyway. You're not meant to be able to do it. That's not the point. This is God's story. Remember the the kind of, was it last week? We had the kind of, um, the the kind of, the way the journey goes. God first, Moses responds. God, Moses, yeah. Was that last week or the week before? So there's this kind of cadence. This is God's story, not Moses. What's the truth? What is God saying? Well, look, here we got it in verse 8. So I says God, have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. I, I, I'll i do it. And notice what God says every time. I'll give you the words. I'll give you the miracles. I'll show people that you have my authority. I, I'll do that. So we're honest about the way that we feel 
and we begin to organize the way that we're feeling in the light of what's true and what's not true. And that's why what we're doing now connects so significantly with what we were doing earlier on in the year with that whole truth and lie stuff. Because what lies at the bottom of our hearts that messes us up is the lie. It's the lie that we have to expose. When we build on a lie, we get ourselves nowhere. But when we start to engage with the truth around the lie that we think and that we believe, then things begin to happen. Then what happens? You have to navigate through them. This is important. We tend to operate as if once I've got all those feelings sorted out, then I'll be ready to do something for God. Uh Uh-uh. You will never get those feelings sorted out until you crack on with something. Everybody starts doing it afraid. Those feelings don't just suddenly go away. We need to learn to do it anyway. We're not getting rid of those feelings and pretending that they don't exist, but we're learning to navigate our way through those feelings. Can you see why, how that's quite, um, it sounds like a nuance, but it's quite significantly different. Hello? Anybody feeling anything? Good. Okay. We have to learn to navigate our way through those feelings because they're there and they are, if we're not careful, controlling us. How do we navigate? Well, we navigate by getting perspective. Every time you step a little bit further into what God has for you, even if it's a perfect fit, even you're stepping into the dream that you've always had, even if it's absolutely what you've carried in your heart for years, decades, you will be really afraid. You will be scared to step out. Find me someone in the Bible who wasn't. Go on, have a good go. You will be scared. So we we have this utopia, this strange imagination that when it's it's the right thing and God's in it and it's all perfect and we're skipping through the tulips, we won't be afraid. That that's just not true. If you're feeling really scared to step into what God has for you, that's a good sign you're on the right track. And so it normalizes it. The perspective that we need to have is that everything that you and I need to do to step into God's purpose will probably terrify us at the beginning. We won't remain afraid through the whole journey. The perspective is that it's normal at the beginning to be totally terrified and then we will grow in it. And then it will be the next thing that will terrify us. And the next thing that will terrify us, which is why 365 times in the Bible... It says what? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. So don't assume that you'll be the only one that when it's all lined up and it's totally perfect, you won't be afraid. You will be really scared. We need to navigate it. Not ignore it or pretend. If we pretend it isn't there, we won't do it. If we name it, we can begin to navigate it, and it won't always feel like that. So how do we get that right perspective? Well, one of the things that we need to keep us in that perspective is people. 
We need each other, don't we? (laughs) We need each other. We need to be honest about this stuff. Do you know what? I think God's asking me to do this, and I'm totally terrified. And I don't think I'm enough. And I think it's all about me, and I need to remember it's all about God. And what happens? We need other people. So look at this lovely verse at the end of chapter uh, 4. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people. Verse 31. It's a lovely moment. And they believed. Out of all this lack of faith, all this uncertainty, there was a togetherness and faith began to rise. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshipped. Can you imagine the presence of God in that moment? A holy moment when the worship of God just filled that space where they were. Perspective, people helped them navigate through, helped Moses and uh, all of them navigate through their heart response. And then I needed a, pe- a, a P for perspective and people. And so I went for prayer, but basically talk to God about it. We make prayer all about what we want to tell God as if he doesn't already know, don't we? How much of our praying is telling God stuff as if he doesn't know? And actually what Moses shows us in these two chapters, is an honest dialogue with God, doesn't give that which within us power over us. Honest dialogue with God enables us to partner with him to overcome that which is within us. You with me? Moses goes on to be this incredible leader. And I love the fact that he's got all this rubbish inside him, because I've got that, have you? I love the fact that he just goes, uh, this is how I feel. I feel like I can't do it. I feel rubbish. I feel like everyone else is going to think that I'm rubbish. And he just kind of works that out with God. He names it. He gets it out there. He, he, he like offers the lie. He hears God's truth and he's working through it. He gathers the people around. They tell the story. There's a sense of God's presence. This is a new moment. We're going to trust God together. So it goes, Moses said, and then God says, and Moses said, and God says, Talk to him. Navigate through the feeling. And then finally, do you notice that God got angry at the end? Why did God get angry? Are you all thinking about what I've just asked or have I lost you? Why did God get angry? So there was this moment, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. There was this, there was this moment when at the end, and this is when you just lump all those things in and say they're all excuses. It kind of, in my mind, misses the point. Because there's this moment just at the end when Moses kind of goes, I'm not sure I want to do it. There's that moment when the emotion of all that he's feeling almost overwhelms him. Up until this point, God is super patient and generous and kind. Wouldn't you agree? Moses says, I'm not enough. God says, do you know? Yes, you are. I've made you for this. Moses says, I don't know what words to use. God says, I'm going to give you the words. 
Moses says, the people won't believe me. How will they know I've come from? I'm going to give you some miracles. I mean, it's pretty cool, wasn't it? Throw your staff down, turns into a snake, puts a hand in and comes out with leprosy. I mean, you guys would be impressed with that on a Sunday morning, wouldn't you? Do you know what I mean? That would be pretty cool. So, so God's giving him everything. Can you see that? God's being really generous and open-hearted with him. There is never a moment when you are honest about what's going on in your heart where God will reject you and push you away because he knows what's already there. Yeah? So you can be totally honest with God and we need to learn that. We need to kick and scream and shout and moan at him. For it. We would be so much healthier if we learned to do that well because he loves us and he can cope with us with it. And there are some people that just get fed up with us and uh, God doesn't. He's there for us. But then there was this moment at the end when Moses kind of goes, you know, I don't know if I want to bother. I'm not sure that I'm willing. And then God got angry. And then God got angry. Because that's the question. The question is not what's wrong in your heart that's causing it to be a struggle. That's a given. The question is not, can I be honest with God about what's in your heart? Yes, of course, that's a given. The question is not, is what's in your heart going to stop you? That doesn't need to be given. The real question is, are you willing? That's the question. Are you willing? That's, in the end, the only thing ultimately up for debate. And when all the stuff in Moses' heart led him to that place that goes, do you know what, I'm just tired of this, I'm going to get... Then then God says, hey, hang about, hang about, hang about, there's this dream. Go back to your dream. Are you willing? Are you willing? Sure, there's all this stuff in your heart, and it might take you decades. It took decades. You might say, I haven't got decades. It took Moses ages to sort it all out in the far side of the wilderness. But wasn't that worth it in the end? What is Moses remembered for? He's not remembered for wandering around in the wilderness with a load of sheep in the back of beyond. He's remembering for doing something remarkable. And that's the same of all these stories where people have spent years dealing with their inner space, their inner world, in order that they can say a big yes to God. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He did exactly what Moses did, didn't he? He was honest about it. Jesus was honest about his stuff. He went to God. He said, you know what? I don't fancy it if it's all right with you. This looks, this looks way too much. I'm not sure. Please, can there be something? Can we do something different? I'm not sure I've got this. But in the end, what did he say? What did Jesus say? What was the, what was the linchpin? What was the final kind of, the, you know, the outcome of that? Where did Jesus end up? He goes, yeah, I'm willing. I, I'm willing. That's all God needs. That's all God ever asks for us. Are you willing? Are you willing? Are you willing? So go back to that dream just quietly for a moment. Let's just spend a moment in, in, our own, in our own space with God. Think about the dreams. Think about the things that you think are long gone, long forgotten. Moses thought he'd blown it. Moses thought God had forgotten. Moses was geographically and metaphorically and relationally and spiritually a thousand miles away from that dream, that passion. But God hadn't forgotten. And to be honest, it was still there. And as Moses just got real about what was going on in his heart, that passion would 
be rediscovered. Shake the dust off it. And suddenly, maybe thoughts that Moses has had years ago would come back to the surface. And on the far side of the wilderness, Moses said, I'm willing. He also said, I'm scared. He also said, I don't think I've got what it takes. He also said, I don't think I've got the skills. He also said, I don't think everyone else thinks that I've got the skills and got what it takes. But I'm willing. But I'm willing. So as you think about the dream, what's your heart say? I'm scared. I'm scared to even hope in that again. I'm scared. I don't think I can do it. I'm scared that when I articulate it, others won't think I can do it. I'm scared that when the crunch comes, I won't know what to say. I'll mess it up in some way. Be honest with God about what's in your heart. In the end, he knows what's already there. The clarity that you need about your heart is for you rather than for him. As you name it, as you allow truth to confront the lies, as you nail it, then you can begin to navigate it. And we come to that wonderful spiritual place where we say to God, I'm really scared, but I'm willing. And that's the pivot point of all great kingdom stories. I'm really scared, but I'm willing. I'm willing to let you rule in my heart come and take your place in all the fears in all the emotions I'm willing to let you in when we start naming stuff and we open up our hearts to ourselves the beautiful thing is we're opening up our heart to God and remember that God was gracious and kind to Moses he never once said to Moses don't be so stupid don't be so ridiculous For every lie, for every emotion, the Father brought truth. And so we invite Jesus into our hearts. The most godly response is to say, do you know what, God, I I want to, I'm willing. But I don't feel like I'm enough, I don't feel I've got what it takes. And I'm going to talk to you about it. 
so slowly and yet significantly we let God take his place in our hearts. So help us, Jesus. Rule in my heart forever.